Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Just last week, the Roman Catholic bishops of the United States defied a warning from Pope Francis, and they drafted new guidance on what is a fundamental and sacred right in Catholicism, namely the taking of communion. New guidance that could see President Biden being denied communion because of his support of abortion rights. Now, Joe Biden is a long-time and very sincere Catholic, and this would obviously be a big blow for him personally. Catholics also make up more than a fifth of the American voting population. So why is the church doing this? What might its impact be on American politics? No one better to talk to about all this than Tom Periello, who is a former United States congressman from the state of Virginia, a former diplomat, and now the US executive director of the Open Society Foundations. I spoke to him from his home in the Virginia countryside, where, as you'll hear, he was joined by a rather vocal chorus of roosters who wanted every now and again to chip into our conversation. But I began by asking him about a choice he made more than a decade ago, which is to not take communion in the Catholic Church inside the United States. And so I began our conversation by asking him about that choice. Well, first of all, I think it's important just to reiterate that the taking of communion is a very, very serious sacrament for Catholics. It's something uh, one is supposed to do every week, um, and it is uh, a deeply spiritual experience. But it is also something where that blessing and authority comes to the church. And for me, in the United States, that means coming from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And unfortunately, over the period of my life, uh, I've seen that institution really be much more of a partisan political institution than a theological institution. Um, It's one that has had a very problematic track record in terms of not just the direct abuse of children and women, but of continually covering that up. So for me, um, particularly 10 years ago, once I was uh, a member of Congress and saw the role they were playing, a really, frankly, dishonest role in uh, making laws, I didn't feel in good conscience. It was a very personal decision that I could take communion under their auspices. Uh, That was a private decision, and it's a a huge missed opportunity, and it's a very sad thing for me uh, as a Catholic as well as as an American. But let's just 
talk about this very latest move that has uh, appalled you and I think some other Catholics. Just unpack for us what exactly it is that the Catholic bishops of the United States have voted to do now. So the Catholic bishops in the United States have frequently threatened to deny communion to essentially to Democratic politicians who are pro-choice. And they've threatened it more or less every time that a Catholic has been within the reach of the presidency, uh, whether that was Ted Kennedy's run or John Kerry's run. And uh, they never followed through on the threat, though individual priests uh, have felt empowered to do so. Um, but with Joe Biden taking the presidency, they decided to move forward an additional step. They have not um, completely done it, but they have moved forward with the outline of a plan uh, that would deny communion to pro-choice politicians, not to uh, pro-death penalty politicians, not to, death, not to politicians that are um, refusing to humanize our immigration or poverty systems, um, but only this, uh, this one issue. And I'm not trying to process that. I'm not trying to convince you to be, to share my religious views. But for me, it's important because it gives me some reason to have hope. President Biden is obviously a very prominent Catholic, but he's also very quiet about his faith. He goes uh, to service every week, uh, does not allow cameras. This is not, you know, Donald Trump walking across a military-occupied square to hold the Bible upside down in front of a closed church. Uh, and I think part of what was so outrageous was they could have been spending that time talking about the need to rehumanize our immigration and refugee system. They could have been using it to push for. There was a vote just this week on trying to restore the rights to vote and um, the protection of our democracy. And uh, there was zero pressure exerted on what are many conservative Republican uh, senators and members of the House or just people of conscience. Um, there's a moment where we need of, of racial healing in this country. None of these are issues on which the bishops felt the need to opine and lean in. And I think that's why this step ended up saying a lot more about the bishops than it did about uh, any of the people they were trying to target. You mentioned Joe Biden being quiet about his faith. And when you've written about this, you said it's a lived but quiet faith, which is a very evocative expression. It obviously matters to him. Uh, and I've seen some uh, observers say he might be the most religiously observant president since Jimmy Carter. How important was Joe Biden's faith in comforting him through those bereavements that are clearly a huge part of the personality as well as the public profile of Joe Biden? I mean, you know, Joe Biden is a singular figure. Um, when you think about how long he spent um, working in Washington and in the Senate, I think he comes as the most experienced president, arguably, in American history. He's just someone who feels like, and I think this comes from his faith, that he's no better than anyone else and that there are certain aspects of the human experience that even a senator is not protected from, um, including love, loss, and tragedy. And so I think it's what's given him uh, this touch of empathy and compassion that is really a defining trait. Um, and that makes people trust him, which I think is so important at a time that our country is divided. And he doesn't do it for political reasons. He certainly could go uh, to mass in a very public way. Um, but uh, it's just something that for him is a very personal experience. 
So uh, let's see, look at the other half of this, the other end of this relationship. He, there's how Joe Biden feels about the his Catholicism and the church. How does the church feel about him and about having a Catholic president? I, I mean, this may be wrong, and it may be that I'm projecting what I know Irish Americans felt about having John F. Kennedy being the first Catholic president and feeling a great deal of pride in him. Does the Catholic church not take and and those Catholic bishops in the United States not take some pride in the fact that Joe Biden, a practicing Catholic, is in the White House? And am I perhaps romanticizing how they felt about John F. Kennedy? No, I mean, you know, my father was the son of Italian immigrants and uh, Catholic, and I know for him and for his parents, uh, it was a defining moment for all Catholics in America. And for me, growing up at a time that there wasn't really discrimination against Catholics, we had gone mainstream in many ways because of Kennedy's uh, ascendancy to the presidency and all that that came to represent. Biden's election, I think, shows in some ways the success of that mainstreaming in that it has not been as significant uh, of an event, but in the way that it's also our politics have changed. In many ways, the, the speech Kennedy had to give was, don't worry about my Catholicism, my loyalty is to the Constitution. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. And now I think the norm for politicians in the United States is almost to try to claim and lean into their faith very publicly. I think for American Catholics right now, though, I mean, you have to distinguish the bishops from American Catholics. American Catholics voted actually considerably more for Biden than white evangelicals did. So I think there was some sense uh, probably of just trusting him uh, again for his empathy and other things. American Families Plan will provide access to quality, affordable childcare. We guarantee. At any previous point in the Catholic Church's history in America, they would have gotten together at this conference and said this care economy agenda is a pro-family, pro-child, pro-life agenda, and we are going to use every bit of our might to uh, shame or pressure elected officials in the House and Senate to pass this pro-life, pro-family care economy agenda that President Biden has uh, offered. But instead, they've largely adopted a, a fairly, you know, corporate, conservative, hot, you know, thing that their top donors uh, support, and I think that matches their own politics uh, as well. But that's the problem: is that they're essentially acting more like partisan political actors than um, people that are direct by theology. And I think that American Catholics, right, left, and center, have just come to tune them out um, at at best and uh, mock them at worst. There is now this flashpoint, and it is over abortion. Just in a nutshell, and it can be brief, in a brief nutshell, what is Joe Biden's position on abortion? Life begins at conception. That's the church's judgment. I accept it in my personal life. But I refuse to impose it on equally devout Christians and Muslims and Jews. And uh, I just refuse to impose that on others. You know, he is uh, supportive of Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to choose. Um, he has certainly been supportive over his career in 
um, policies that reduce the number of abortions. And this was one of the things that happened with the Affordable Care Act. Um, so if you see in Joe Biden's career, he's been very supportive of the kind of family policies um, that make it more affordable to, to choose to have a child. Um, but he has been supportive of that right, which is uh, you know a constitutional right here in the United States, which I as well support. All right. So so here's the the uh, you know the U.S. Uh, Catholic bishops uh, taking a stance on what for them is a moral issue over abortion. And in a way, some people would say, look, that's their job. They are to take up a moral position. And it may be awkward for the politician concerned, but that's their role. Did they, for example, condemn Donald Trump over his moral record? And I'm thinking of his undenied infidelity and documented dishonesty. Did the US Catholic bishop say, look, that's morally wrong, just like we think Joe Biden's position on abortion is morally wrong? And did they condemn him in the same way? Uh, they they were pitiful during that time period, honestly. They, they made some good statements, particularly about the attacks on immigrants um, and the dehumanizing language. But it was often sort of a press release put out at, you know, midnight on a Friday night. Um, it was not something where you saw them, uh, you know, calling people in the pews, uh, particularly in their more conservative diocese. And, and I think, you know, you have to not only see their failure to confront Trump and Trumpism, um, at its peak, um, but really to prevent the forces that gave rise to Trump. That the best thing we can do, politically speaking, is let Obamacare explode. It is exploding right now. And had they actually been willing to call out that hate in a strong way and really embrace this um, uh, historic legislation, to them, uh, tens of millions of Americans receiving uh, affordable health care and being able to afford to have a child and raise a family um, versus uh, this sort of largely how many angels can dance on the head of a pen hypothetical, uh, they decided to focus on the counting the angels on the head of the pen. In terms of the timing of this, why would they want to pick this fight with Joe Biden now? I understand you've explained for us why they take this position. But why would they want to do this so early in Joe Biden's presidency? It's not as if the abortion issue is about to be front and centre of any decision Joe Biden can make. Why are they picking this fight now, Tom? Well, it's their annual conference, but uh, keep in mind there are a bunch of non-bishops that run the conference itself, and they are just hardcore Republican operatives. Um, and they're pretty much all men, too, which is not a coincidence. So they've just been looking for every opportunity to, um, to undermine and smack President Biden. This was their annual conference and their chance to do it. The conservative bishops, the most conservative bishops, leaked that they were going to try to do this, and the Pope, in his infinitely uh, graceful and compassionate way, sent a public signal, not directly to them, but saying the Eucharist is not uh, the reward for saints, but the bread for all of us sinners. And the, the U.S. bishops decided they were going to try to be more Catholic than the Pope. Um, and, you know, here we are. It's fascinating, this split between Pope Francis and them. I mean, is his worry, and I suppose the worry of people like you, actually, that the, the, the taking of communion somehow becomes a partisan political tool, that it becomes weaponized. 
Yes, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Lord knows I, I won't try to speak for Pope Francis, but looking at the totality of his life, I think first and foremost, he's a very humble person who genuinely believes that um, we are all better than the worst thing we've ever done. I think his early interactions with the junta in Argentina before he went up to Cordoba for a while and listened to confessions for two years and just heard the pain. And one of the things he's written about taking away from that is, you know, when you're in the highest levels of bishop things, you're having a set of debates about priorities like the bishops are doing now. And then you go and listen to people's confessions. They're not worried about this question of whether Biden's taking communion or not. They're worried about whether they can support their families. They're worried about their own pain and suffering, the trauma that they've had. So I think the Pope doesn't want to see it weaponized, but he also just wants the church to be a welcoming place to those who are in pain and speaking truth to power. So I think that's still present. I mean, obviously, this matters. 22%, I think, of the last count of uh, American citizens are Catholic. And so this, you know, the politics of this matters a lot. Although I'm also struck by what you said before about a lot of Catholics are just getting on in America, getting on with their lives and, and kind of tuning out um, what their leaders, the, what the bishops are saying. At the last election, I think the AP exit poll showed it was more or less a dead heat among Catholics. 50% went for Trump and 49% went for Biden, which does suggest that they are in effect, ignoring what the what their leaders in in the in the churches and the cathedrals are saying, um, what's your sense of how much impact this position taken by the bishops will have in the rough and tumble game of real politics? Almost none, and I think that's part of what's so tragic about it is it's really just a vicious attack on Joe Biden as a person and putting him in an awkward position, as well as other elected Democrats, while having pretty much zero impact on um, how voters think, uh, how people of faith think. People, I mean, you know, I don't want to overstate my knowledge of this, but I don't think I've met a Catholic right, left, or center who really looks to the bishops for authority in the U.S. They're not out there, and again, they're individual bishops and priests that are absolutely in the communities. But you have to remember the shift in American Catholicism, which was for most of the 20th century, the Catholic Church, again, was rooted in these working class ethnic neighborhoods. And Catholics have moved, to, white Catholics in particular, have moved to the suburbs. Uh, they're very well off and they are um, more or less functioning politically like their neighbors if they're in a fairly blue area or a red area and not uh, as Catholics vis-a-vis -vis voting. So I think that's why this has backfired on the bishops or seems to be in that it's saying a lot more about them and their cafeteria Catholicism, which is something they've always accused progressives of, that we pick and choose the parts we like. But that's really what they're doing. They're saying we're going to focus on one issue and we're going to ignore, as you said, Trump's uh, personal uh, foibles. We're going to uh, ignore his dehumanizing rhetoric or do sort of very soft critiques of that um, and claim a moral high ground by going you know, all in on this one issue. And the notion of faith in the public square, it, it has always mattered enormously. I think there is only one member of the United States Senate. We talked about her last week on this podcast, uh, Kristen Sinema, who actually, when asked for her faith, enters on a written form, none. I think most politicians still feel the need, uh, for at least to make a public avowal of faith. Does faith in the public square in American politics still matter, do you think? I think it does. I mean, you know, having run for office a couple of times, I can tell you what voters want to know is is the why. 
Um, why are you running? What makes you tick? What are your values? And I think people look to a limited set of things because politics is so much about spin. Um, how do you really figure out what's motivating someone? And so I think people, um, yes, there's the sort of uh, photo opportunity side of the faith, but really ultimately people look at what decisions you made with your career, what decisions you've made with your family, and how faith or something else motivated um, your life. And I'll just give you a quick example. When I ran, I was running uh, in 2008 in a very uh, red part of central and southern Virginia. And I had done quite a bit of work in West Africa working on um, peace and reconciliation processes. And the consultants told me not to talk about my uh, work there um, because they thought it would be you know, othering. And I talked about how my faith had called me to that work, and it ended up it was something that people, white, black, Republican, Democrat, could completely identify with. It didn't matter what I was doing per se. What they wanted to know was what motivated me to do that work. And if I was willing, because of my faith, to go serve the vulnerable there, people felt like, hey, this is probably someone who's going to go to Washington and also care about those of us that are struggling. So I think it's, it's about the why. Tom, we always ask guests on the podcast a what else question. We ask them about something completely different. So I'm going to throw you a curveball. The results of the New York mayoral primary are partially in, 85% counted. We won't know the full of the official result for some weeks, but it appears as if Eric Adams has is the winner. We talked about this New York race a few weeks back. Andrew Yang has already conceded. What if this does this so far provisional result tell us about the Democratic Party? Well, almost nothing yet, because it's a ranked choice voting system. So we really don't know. This is the first big experiment in ranked choice voting um, in New York City. This is where people, voters, get to put one, two, three, and four rather than just yes or no. Correct. So I think Adams has about 32%. But the real question will be with the Wiley voters and the Garcia voters, uh, who did they put in their second uh, position? So first, we, we don't know the outcome. I think that uh, Eric Adams probably ran as the most um, maybe centrist or center-left candidate. Um, So you could say that's interesting that he seems to be ahead, or you could look at it and say 70% of the primary voters went for a more progressive choice. So New York politics are are, are complicated. Uh, I'm no expert on them. Um, I think you saw someone like Maya Wiley start out way behind in the race and surge uh, late and may well end up pulling ahead uh, based on the ranked choice system. Uh, Catherine Garcia ran as, um, you know, sort of a, a competent technocrat. Uh, so that would speak to people both uh, being excited for the first woman of color in both of those cases, uh, but also, you know, a no drama candidate who um, is ready to govern on day one, which you could argue was part of uh, President Biden's appeal. So we not only don't know the outcome, but we, we don't know the lessons uh, to learn yet from it. No, quite true. We don't have what we call here those second preferences, which have often determined uh, mayoral races uh, in this country and elsewhere. So we'll be watching. But for now, Tom Periello, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for putting up with uh, me, my faith and my roosters. (laughs) That's terrific. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. Before I go, just a reminder to listen back to Wednesday's episode of UK Politics Weekly, where Heather Stewart looked at how the landscape of UK politics was forever changed by the Brexit referendum, which took place five years ago this very week. And for anyone who didn't hear last week's show, I can't recommend enough The Guardian's new podcast, Comfort Eating, 
with our restaurant critic, Grace Dent. Every week, she's getting to know a celebrity by talking about some of the more bizarre things they eat when nobody's watching. On Tuesday, she spoke to comedian Nish Kumar. So do make sure to search for that wherever you get your podcasts. But that is all from me this week. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please stay safe out there, and thanks, as always, for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.